Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our in-depth study into the book of Revelation by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. Continuing our study through the Revelation, and we're in chapter 3. We're at the final church of the seven churches of the Revelation, the church of Laodicea. Probably one of the best known churches because of the fact that it is our particular church age that we're speaking of because remember that each church represents a church age from Ephesus being the apostolic age all the way till now. Philadelphia, we saw last week the missionary age from 1750 to about 1920. And from 1920 on is the Laodicean age. And uh, the Laodicean church, so therefore, would be best known. And we know the Laodicean church as being the church that is lukewarm. All right, thank you. Most everybody realizes that, and that is the church age that we live in. Now, you, you think about that in terms of it. There are two aspects when you think about the Laodicean church being the lukewarm church or being the last church in the age. One is that it is lukewarm, which is not good. We'll find out today that Jesus says that's not good. And, and we live in that realm, the lukewarm era of the church. Many of churches corporately are lukewarm, and the reason it is is because we individually at times are lukewarm. Matter of fact, it's, it's a real challenge in our day and time to stay hot for the Lord, to stay passionate for the Lord. I don't know about your experience. I know I can get fired up about Jesus and excited about that. If I'm not careful in about two weeks, I can be lukewarm again. Because why? Because that's the tendency of our age to live in lukewarmness and to press us and push us towards lukewarmness. So in regard to that, it's a real challenge. It's not a real good thing to be lukewarm. But there's a second aspect of the fact of the Laodicean church being the last church or the last age of the church. And that is that we're closer to Jesus coming. Amen. All the other ages of the church have happened. We are in the Laodicean age of the church. There is no church after that, so we're waiting for Jesus to come. And he could come any day. He could come before we finish this service. Amen? And if he comes before we finish this service, the church will be raptured with him. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you'll be left behind. So if I were you, right now before the service were over, before the message is preached... If I didn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I'd pray right now and ask Jesus to come into my heart and my life because I don't want to be left behind because we're going to pick up and begin to read when you pick up in chapter 4 to the rest of this book, you're going to find out about the second coming of Jesus. The things are yet to come and you're also going to find about that period seven years called the Great Tribulation. And whenever you read about that, hear about that, there's one thing about you, you do not want to experience that. So give your heart to Jesus. You don't have to wait for the invitation. Just give your heart to Jesus right now. He's ready to receive you, accept you as Lord, as his child, and he'd be Lord and Savior of your life. I encourage you to do that as the Holy Spirit would speak to you. But let's look at this today. I want to look at the first part of the letter, and next week we'll finish out the second part of this letter. But let's read together, beginning in verse 14 of the Revelation chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. 
I would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because I, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire, that you may become rich, and white garments, that you may clothe yourselves, and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes, that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, he who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church. As we started each letter, we saw always that Jesus described himself some way. He would describe himself to this particular church or to the angel or messenger to that church in a particular way that was always pertinent to that particular church. Today, he describes himself there at the Laodicean church in three ways. He says, the amen, the faithful and true witness... The beginning of the creation of God says this. When he says the amen, the word amen in the Greek language means this. So be it. That's what it means. So be it. It's a statement of the sovereignty of God. That he has rulership and all power and authority. God does not have to check in with anybody. God does not get the vote of anybody. God doesn't need the opinion of anybody. God is God. And what God says goes. What God says do, it happens. God is the sovereign God. In this context, he's talking about his sovereignty in regard to his judgeship. Because he's presenting and going to present to this particular church that he has things against it that he has these aspects that need to be corrected. And he, as judge, doesn't need anybody's opinion. He, as sovereign ruler, does not appoint a jury of our peers to decide what we are, who we are, or if what he's saying is true. But he is the one sole judge. And he makes the decision, and what he says is truth and reality. He not only says, though, that he is the amen or the judge of rulership and decision-making, he also describes himself as the faithful and true witness. He's the judge and he's also the witness. And what does he say about him as a witness? He says, first of all, he's faithful. That means that he's consistent. He's always the same. There is never, as James says, there is never a shifting shadow with God. An interesting thing about a shadow is a shadow based on where the sun is and whatever time of the day is, that shadow can look differently, can it? 
It may be a small shadow because the sun is in a certain place. And at some time in the day, your shadow is longer than you could ever imagine because it's a different time of the day. But James said, with God, he is and there is no shifting shadow. He is always the same. And that's what the word faithful means. He's always consistent. It's always the same. His story does not change. His testimony does not change. It's always the same. A faithful, consistent witness. But not only is he a faithful witness, he's a true witness. That means he's honest. He tells what is there. He reveals what is right. He doesn't make up things. He just simply states the truth as it is truth, being totally honest. Now, I'm sure any lawyer who was going to have a witness who is going to come and to get on the witness stand for them, they'd like those two traits in that witness, right? That they're consistent, they're faithful, and they're true. What they're going to say is true, and it's always there, and they're honest and right. And you take that, those are great qualities of a witness. And Jesus said, he is the witness against the church, and he's consistent and honest about what he is going to say. He's going to stand to be the witness against the church. The third thing he says, though, about himself, he says, the beginning of the creation of God. He is the beginning of the creation of God. Now, it's very important to understand how that's written in the in the Greek text, because you could misunderstand that. If you weren't careful, it would sound like that Jesus is the first creation of God, the beginning of the creation of God. He's first in order of being created. Now, there's some religions and some faiths that believe that God is God and that Jesus was created by God, but that's not the Christian faith. When it says that he is the beginning of the creation... It's not meaning that he was in order first created, but it means that he was the source of creation. He is the beginning of the creation. The reason the creation took place is because he was there. He is that source that creates everything. He is sovereign God, faithful witness. He's the beginning of the creation. Now, what is that saying? It says that he knows everything that there's ever been known from the beginning to the end. He'd already said he was the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. In other words, whenever Jesus has always existed, he existed before creation and brought about creation, then there is nothing that could ever have been happened or been said or been done prior to Jesus that might be knowledge that he doesn't have. He has the total knowledge of everything and all that it is. So put all this together. He is going to be the sovereign judge who hears the true and faithful witness that he is, a faithful witness who's been here from the very beginning of creation and who knows everything so you can bank on what he says that it is the totality of the honest report on that church. He's nailing it down, isn't he? Now, why would he do that? Because what he's going to share with the church, what he's going to share with us, what he's going to share with our church age is not easy. It's not an easy pill to swallow. It might be something we want to resist and push back on. 
We might would rather a, 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 a jury of our peers be the one who judged, but we don't have that opportunity. It's God and God alone. So what does he say about the church of Laodicea? Well, an interesting thing is I've given you in the outline, after he describes himself, usually the next thing that takes place is what? It's a word of commendation. It's something that he says that's good. It's something he wants to say that's kind of brags on the church. But hold on a second. I see you're looking for it. There is no word of commendation for this church. There is nothing that he says that he's bragging on or or saying, giving to them to commend them for what they're doing. The church of Laodicea does not receive a word of commendation, but rather it goes immediately to a word of correction. So what's this word of correction? Here it is in verse 15. I know your deeds. Remember, that is a common theme throughout all of this book. All these letters, he was I know your deeds. I know your deeds. I know your deeds. He knows everything about us, doesn't he? And he tells them, I know your deeds. Here it is, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would, I would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So his word of correction to this church is this. You are a lukewarm church. You are lukewarm. You are neither hot, nor are you cold. You're not cold. You're not hot. You are just lukewarm. Now, what's he talking about that? What he's talking about, he's talking about our heart, our relationship, our love for and commitment to Almighty God. See, he would want us to have a heart hot, passionate heart towards God. He wants us to be in love with God, with all of our hearts. That's what he describes by hot. I'll show you in a minute. And he says, but you could be cold, but you're neither hot nor cold. So where you are is there in the middle, lukewarm, which is worse than either of the other. It's it's worse than that. What is he talking about? Well, let me show you something in the Bible. The Bible is going to point out a hot heart, a cold heart, and a lukewarm heart, what that means. Turn your Bibles to Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, verse 12, these are the words of Jesus as he is describing what is going to happen and take place at the end of time. In the end time. Friend, we are living in the end time. The Laodicean church is the end time. What he describes here, he describes as being a trait of the Laodicean age. This is what he says, the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 12. Listen to what it says. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love... Now, hold on a second. Love is another word or idea of what we have for our heart. We tell somebody, I love you with all of my heart. 
Love is an expression of the heart. So when he says this, he says, because lawlessness increased, most people's love or heart will grow what? Will grow cold. At the end time, because of all of what's happening in the world at that time, most people's hearts are going to be cold. They're not going to have a hot heart towards God. They're not going to have a passionate relationship towards God. Their commitment to a level and, and love of God, which is also expressed in the love of others, is going to be minimal because they have a cold heart. A cold heart. The picture of a cold heart is a picture of somebody who doesn't have a relationship with God. Who doesn't know the love of God. Who's never been transformed by the power of God. For see, whenever you come to know God, you know what he says he does? He says he heats up your heart. Let me show you. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, verse 32. This event happens on the road to Emmaus. Jesus has died, been buried, and resurrected. He's revealed himself to a number of people at this time. Two of the disciples of Jesus are on the road traveling to Emmaus. As they travel, they encounter a stranger that they do not recognize. That stranger is Jesus, but they don't recognize him. And whenever that stranger comes up, he hears them talking about all the events that had happened prior to this, when Jesus had been crucified. And he asked, what are you talking about? They said, are you the only man who lives in this region who doesn't know what has taken place in Jerusalem? And they began to explain to him about what had taken place, and they began to try in their own words to comprehend or to say that he's been resurrected and people have seen him resurrected, and we don't really know all about that. They began to tell him and until he takes over. Whenever he takes over, you know what he begins to do? He begins to explain the Scripture to them. And as he explained the Scriptures and the prophecies to them, they began to understand and realize, especially when he said that blessing, when he stayed and said the blessing, they realized this was Jesus. All right? They eventually realized it was Jesus. But this is their description of what took place in their heart whenever Jesus talked to them. Look what it says in verse 32. And they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road? while he was explaining the scriptures to us. Were not our hearts, what? Burning within us. Well, I'm here to tell you, my friend, if something burning is hot. Amen? And what did they say? They said, God heated up our heart. Jesus heated up our heart. When we heard him talk, when we heard him explain the scripture, something began to happen in my heart. And the heat and the hot of God was burning in my heart. See, when you let Jesus do that, and when you have that relationship with God and His Scriptures is speaking to your heart, you have a hot heart. A hot heart. So, so we see that there's a cold heart that He describes in the end time, and, and then we see that there's a hot heart that knows Jesus personally, and then we go back to the Revelation and we find out that there's a lukewarm heart. A lukewarm heart. What is that? It's a heart that's neither hot 
nor is it cold. It's not hot or cold. It's just right there in the middle. It's lukewarm. Now, lukewarm things might be okay. Lukewarm water might be all right if you were going to take a bath. But lukewarmness is not what God wants for his children, for his people in relationship to him. He doesn't want that. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot, neither cold, nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot, but because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'll spit, I want to spit you out of my mouth. An interesting thing about the city of Laodicea. Laodicea lay between two cities. One city's name was Hierapolis. Hierapolis. And Hierapolis was known because they had hot springs. Any of you ever been to Hot Springs, Arkansas? It's kind of an amazing thing that out of the earth comes this hot water and being produced. Well, they had that. They had hot springs in Hierapolis, just north of Laodicea. And that, the water was hot. Well, just to the south of them was Colossae, and Colossae was known for its pure, pure, cool spring water. So you had on one side, you had the hot water of Hierapolis. On the other side, you had the cold water of Colossae. And here in the middle is Laodicea. Well, you know what Laodicea did? They wanted both the hot and cold water. So they built what we would call a piping system, but it's really an aqueduct. If you ever go to Israel and you ever go to that part of the land, you'll be amazed at the engineering feats that took place at that time. You'll be amazed at aqueducts that travel for miles and miles in order to get fresh water somewhere. Or in this case, to bring hot water from Hierapolis and cold water from Colossae. That's what they wanted. They built an aqueduct system for both of those to be brought into Laodicea. But here's the problem. By the time the hot water traveled from Hierapolis in an aqueduct to get to Laodicea, it wasn't hot anymore. It was lukewarm. (laughs) And the cold water from Colossae, by the time it traveled to get to Laodicea, it wasn't cold anymore. It was lukewarm. So Laodicea knew a lot about lukewarmness. They knew that they wanted hot, but they got lukewarm. They wanted cold, but they got lukewarm. They know what it's like. They know what it's like to say, I would rather it be hot or I'd rather it be cold, but all I've got is lukewarm. Because that's where things move to, towards that lukewarm state, neither hot nor cold. That's that's where they move to. And, and, And Jesus says this, that because it's lukewarm and it's not hot or cold, I just want to spew it or spray it out, spit it out of my mouth. It's not what I want. It's not what I'm looking for. I don't want lukewarmness in the hearts of my people. Well, I'm here to tell you, you have to constantly be working on things to keep them hot and cold, don't you? In other words, I don't drink coffee. My wife drinks coffee. But if you go have breakfast somewhere and you get a cup of coffee, before long the waiter or waitress is going to walk by and they're going to say, would you like for me to either fill up or heat up your coffee? Because when it's in a cup, it's going to get lukewarm. So you have to take and put something else hot in it to keep it hot, right? If you have iced tea, 
You drink at high steam, they're going to come around, they're going to say, would you like more tea or would you like more ice in it? Would you like more ice in it so that it stays cool? If you like coffee, you like it hot, most people. If you like tea in America or the South, you like it cold. But you really don't like either one of them, just lukewarm. And Jesus says that my church has become lukewarm. And because it is lukewarm, I want to spew it or spit it out of my mouth. Now, I want to share with you, though, before we close, I want to share with you one of the most interesting parts of this passage to me. This is what he said in verse 15. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I would, I would that you were cold or hot. Do you hear what Jesus said? Jesus said, what I really want of you, I would rather you be cold or hot, not lukewarm. Now, does that, does that, have you thought about that? Does that trouble you? Being hot doesn't trouble me. Okay, think about it. I would rather you be hot. That means he's saying, I would rather you be passionately in love with me and your life is built around me and you love me with all the depths of your life. I would rather you be like that. But whenever he throws in there and says, I would rather you be cold, and lukewarm, I don't, I don't grasp that. It's hard to grasp when you first look at it. You know why? Because what we think of is, well, if hot is being in right relationship and love with God, and cold is not having a relationship with God, then surely lukewarmness must be better than being cold. Wouldn't you think that? I'm on a linear, pat, linear pattern. Hot, lukewarm, cold. This is good, that's bad, this is in the middle. Surely that must be, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I would rather you be hot or cold, not lukewarm. So why would he say that? Why would he say that? Because Jesus knows this, that the most dangerous place in life, especially for a lost person, is to exist in a lukewarm state. Is to exist in a lukewarm state. In other words, certainly Jesus would rather us be hot in love with him with all of our heart and passion towards him. But he says, if you're not in love with me, I'd rather you be cold because in coldness you realize you don't have a relationship with God. You don't pretend to have a relationship with God. You don't know God. Your heart's never been set on fire by God. But in that cold state, you will have a chance to realize and understand and know that you need something to happen in your life to change you so you can be hot towards God. You are in a place and a position where you can realize your need and be transformed by God. But if you are in a lukewarm state, you may not realize that. For see, a lost man, a lost man who doesn't have a relationship with Christ, who doesn't, is not a part of the family of God, does not have heaven as their home, a lost man can move over here and he can get just enough religion just enough church, just enough activity, just enough moral compass that he can feel like or she can feel like that they are okay. They're okay. And they don't need what it takes to have a hot heart. They're okay right here. Especially when people who do have a relationship with God and do know Christ and do have a home in heaven, 
because they've become lukewarm. They're not hot. They're over here with them. So you got these people who are lost in a lukewarm state. You got people who are saved in a lukewarm state. And everybody's together and we all get together and sing kumbaya or do whatever we're doing. And we're all encouraged by one another whenever that lost person is lost and headed for hell. See, to be in a lukewarm state for that lost man, it's going to mean that he's, he's got to realize he's got to be lost in order to get saved. If you get a lost man lost, he'll get saved. Only a fool realizes that he's lost and wouldn't want to get saved. I mean, really? Okay, I'm lost, I'm going to hell, I'm headed that way, but I'm going to just stay there. No. The reason lost men stay lost is they don't know they're lost. But if they realize they're lost, they're going to get their heart right with God. But if they get over here in this lukewarm state and they look like they fit in pretty good and they never realize that they're missing out on something, they're going to die in that state without Christ. Without Christ. And we as, as children of God and Christians over here who should be hot towards God, we're living right beside them. And they look like us, talk like us, think like us. We all look the same. We're not the same. Our hearts are different. One's accepted Christ, one had not accepted Christ, but we all look alike. And in that lukewarm state, many, many people are going to miss heaven, miss redemption. And we as lukewarm believers are a big cause of it because we look just like them, where we ought to be passionately in love with God. Passionately in love with God. That's why Jesus said, look at it, I would rather that you be cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out. I just want to spew you out of my mouth. That's their condition. A condition of lukewarmness. Now, next week we're going to talk about the why. Why are are we lukewarm? Why is the church lukewarm? And then see some glorious promises that he makes. A great invitation, one of the greatest verses of Scripture is Revelation 3.20, I stand at the door and knock. And one of the greatest promises he ever made is also found in there when he says, and I'm going to let you sit on my throne with me. Hey, that's pretty good, amen? Getting to sit on the throne with Jesus? That's pretty good for an overcomer. We're going to find out the why, the invitation, and the promise that he gives. But here's the invitation today. Friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if in your heart... And you know it. You know it. If in your heart you know that you do not have a relationship with God, you are not 100%. If you died today, you'd go to heaven. You need to come and give your heart to Christ. And you don't need to be religious. You don't need to be just moral. You need to be transformed. And please don't let us lukewarm Christians make you think that's all there is to Christ. There's a whole lot more than that. But if you you do not have a relationship, come and give your heart to Christ today. And child of God, if you find yourself in a lukewarm state, and we do, don't we? I'm telling you, in our age, it's a constant battle. You can be hot one minute before you know it, you're done lukewarm again. You got to come by and say, God, heat me up again. Just heat me up. Do something to heat me up. And if you find yourself where you are right now in a lukewarm state, you need to pray, dear God, set my heart on fire for my sake, but also for the sake of my witness that I wouldn't let anybody else think that this is what being a Christian is, just being lukewarm. 
I wouldn't be a stumbling block to anybody else because they think that's what being a Christian is, being lukewarm. Heat my heart up that I'd love you with all of my heart. I don't want you to spew me out of your mouth because I am lukewarm. You need to ask God to do that. Those are the two invitations. Along with if you want to join our church, we invite you to come. Love to have you come. If you need to come and pray, the altar's open for you to pray. But give your heart to Jesus and let God heat up your heart. Don't be satisfied with a lukewarm state. Amen. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon dash series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.